Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today's very special guest is Lily Walford. Lily is a behavioral profiler, a hypnotist, a life coach, as well as an NLP master practitioner and trainer. Basically, what NLP is, it's neurolinguistics programming. It's supposed to be developing the way that you talk to yourself as well as the way that you talk to others. I just wanted to put that definition out there because we mentioned it a little bit, but we actually don't go into it all that much. But that is very helpful in what she does because she is an international dating coach. Now, you might be wondering, well, what does dating have to do with mental health? But I got to be honest with you. I've been single the last like five years. And it's only been since I started this podcast and a little bit uh, before that where I was just like, you know what? I think I'm missing something in my life. And I think that's okay to let ourselves know that. And Lily has a lot of great answers for people who are single or who are wanting more from their lives. And in this interview, we go through things like sexual preferences as well as, you know, compatibility, communication, all of that good stuff. You can check out Lily at her podcast, Love With Intelligence. She also has a YouTube channel, also called Love With Intelligence, as well as her website, lovewithintelligence.com. Also, we do talk a little bit about narcissists in this interview, and she does have a great workshop on identifying and disarming narcissists. This is a great interview because, I mean, I actually had a lot of questions about this, whether it be dating apps, you know, I'm starting to see little things start to add up about, you know, dating apps and relationships and, you know, certain things. And, you know, she does a very good job of explaining how different people need different ways of finding people and I just thought it was a really great conversation and I really hope you guys enjoy it and maybe hopefully you can work with Lily and you can find your special someone. Anyway guys, let's get straight to the video. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Mental Health Chats. I am Lucky, and today we're going to be talking about something that's uh, pretty... I, I don't think I've talked about it enough on this channel. I, I think that... Funny enough, I've talked a lot about relationships, you know, especially my relationship with my father and how that's affected me going forward. Um, but a lot of times we don't really get to talk about our romantic relationships, the, the way that we interact with other people. You know, I talk a lot about social anxiety, but we don't talk about, uh, I don't really talk too much about the, uh, the, you know, anxieties that come with interacting with, you know, uh, romantic interests and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I think, I think this is going to be a pretty important podcast for a lot of people. I mean, including myself, just because it's, uh, I've only had like two girlfriends in my whole life, so I am not super experienced with it. I think that's the main reason why I stay off the subject because I don't have a whole lot of experience. I've only been in, uh, you know, one one year relationship, and the second one was about three years. So, and then I just took a really long, <laughs> I took a really long layoff from there. I uh, kind of going from there, but uh, yeah, Lily, thank you so much for being on. And I'm just curious, you know, since this is a mental health podcast, I want to kind of relate it in to you know what we're going to be talking about first. So, uh. I'm just curious, how much does mental health have to play in in dating in particular? Because I'm starting to, you know, when I first uh, was on, like, the dating scene you know, before my second relationship, I remember being at a very nice place and being very, you know, I was meditating a lot. And then once I got into the relationship, I threw all that shit away. I was like, oh, I made it. Cool. No <laughs> no more meditating. No more none of this. No more any of this. And I realized I didn't do as much work on myself that you know it just you know once a relationship came it just swept everything uh, away but you know how much how important is uh uh mental health in relationships yeah mental health is obviously like linked in uh, intrinsically in in relationships so a lot of our relationship patterns the type of relationships that we bring in the the mental issues that we face uh, in those relationships all, all actually stem from our identity and the way that we see ourselves. And that creates the role or creates the story that we see within that relationship. So for example, it's like, oh gosh, they haven't texted me back in hours. You know, the truth is they haven't texted in hours, but this story that we can play out is they must be cheating or they must be chatting to someone else or they must be whatever it might be. And we thrive off the story depending on our identity and the role that we play within our life and within our relationships. So it has such a, a huge, profound way of the way that we 
connect with people, but also our, our mental and emotional growth as well. Because we often find that in relationships, we we find things within ourselves and within our partners that might be triggering or it might be, uh, you know, a learning curve. And there's always this opportunity to be able to grow in a healthy relationship because the truth is like relationships and life in general they all have their ups and downs you know you never have a a life um, you know hear some about someone's life who's never gone through problems or went through issues you know we all learn how to overcome things in a certain way whether that's um you know we learn certain techniques or we learn more about ourselves of what we need to overcome but we do that in relationships as well so it's about understanding our needs understanding the things that that drive us forward and also understanding the way that we relate to ourselves and others as well yeah that's really interesting i you know i'm curious about this uh this idea of you know because i mean it's pretty i don't want to say it's common but it's like talking anecdotally i know a lot of people who bring baggage from other relationships into their their future ones and you know I'm, i'm just curious how how do we I mean, how do you how do you think that people should um, how do you think people should tackle that? Because I, you know, obviously therapy is a big one, but you know, in terms of maybe like daily maintenance or something like that. Because I I think sometimes we and this is a problem maybe with uh, with labels. Obviously, labels have their place in society, and I, I'm fine with that. But sometimes we have these strict labels where it's just like, oh, I'm only ever going to be this in a relationship. I'm only ever going to be. Uh, be attracted to this kind of person, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you think we can avoid some of those pitfalls that come from, you know, these so-called like relationship patterns that we end up uh, participating in? Yeah, great question. So again, it kind of comes back to awareness. So it's like going, okay, what were the past relationship patterns? What were the issues that came up in those relationships? How did you feel in those relationships? And the interesting part of this, and a lot of my research I've been doing this year, is understanding where those those core patterns um, actually happen, you know, where they actually come from. So a lot of that is actually to do with childhood and our identity again. So when we grow up between the ages of zero and seven years old, we form our identity and around our identity, it tells us, okay, the role that we play, the way that we should be treated and the way that we should react, you know, and connect with people. So if we have a role as a child of people pleasing or um, being the goody two shoes or being the victim, because if you cry more, you get more attention or being highly independent, you know, there's, there's all these different things that you get praised for as a child. So if you actually think about the things that you're praised most for as a child, I mean, I'll take the people pleaser for, for an example. Well, you're going to take that into your relationships. You're going to take that into your career. You're going to take that into your friendships, absolutely every area of your life as an adult. So when you can understand the actual pattern that you've actually had conditioned into you from a young child you can start to understand okay how is it serving you how is it not serving you and what's the healthy balance of it because the truth is is that we never have something where we go okay well that's completely unhealthy (laughs) it's you know independence is great saying you need help or you know being a victim can be great um people pleasing can be great but it's the balance of it that's so freaking important you know there's a difference between asking for someone for help or traumatizing someone there's a difference between um you know doing something nice to someone or overexerting yourself to the point where you resent the person that you're pleasing in the first place <laughs> so um they they tend to be the core elements and also it's having a look at the parental relationships that you have too in terms of you know what were those relationships like so a lot of people i tend to find who've gone into you know either narcissistic relationships or controlling relationships um uh, they tend to have a, a parent that was emotionally unavailable or narcissistic and when that happens it's we end up looking for a partner who exhibits those same behaviors because number one it feels familiar but if you understand also trauma we with trauma we look at solving problems in different scenarios so for example if you're looking for that attention that love from a parent 
and that they're unable to give it to you, you're going to look for a partner that's very similar in that in that mannerisms and the level that they show emotion to try and fix the, the, the you know fix that pattern of trying to get love from that person which obviously it doesn't quite work you know work out in that way yeah i mean that's that's really true because you know my my relationship with my father was very on and off again and so it was tough for me to actually be it's it's actually interesting because i never i it took me years after my last relationship uh, to realize that I, w- I would emotionally check out and it was like completely <laughs> automatic. Like it was almost like uh, it was almost like those uh, old, old like freezer or refrigerators things. My grandpa used to have uh, one in his, in his uh, garage, but it would go like, and it just power off. And I swear <laughs> it's exactly what happened to me when like too many emotions just came out of my partner. I would just shut down and like completely, I just didn't know how to handle somebody needing me, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's tough. I mean, it's easy to say in retrospect, right. Um, you know, what we should and shouldn't have done. Um, but it, it's, it's tough when you go into another relationship and you're just like, okay, I'm sure this one won't be the same. And then, you know, a lot of the same patterns come up. So yeah, I think that's definitely an important thing. And, you know, could you talk about this idea of the, the subconscious? Cause I've had, um, I, I think it said that you were you were a hypnotist of some sort. I had a hypnotherapist on um, a little while ago, uh, and you know this this idea of the subconscious comes out a lot, especially in terms of trauma. You know, trying to get past certain things. Um, how important is the subconscious in in figuring out some of these these issues that are really deep seated in us? Yeah, the nice thing is I've got quite a nice all rounded. Um, perspective on the subconscious so a little bit about my background so yep I'm a hypnotherapist I'm also an NLP master practitioner trainer um, coach but also the thing that's really interesting is I also do something called behavioral profiling and I can read body language to the point of seeing if someone's telling the truth or not within the moment and that's off the back of one of my business partners who has about 30 million dollars worth of uh, of CIA level research and um, so it's really really cool so the subconscious is basically the way that our body stores emotions memories all these different things in order to allow us to survive basically so what we tend to find is and this is why identity is so important is it's obviously three parts of the brain without going too scientific. We've got the reptilian brain, which basically says, okay, is this a threat or am I okay? Am I okay? Threat or am I safe? And then from that data, we go into the mammalian brain, which is the emotions. So if I'm safe, how am I feeling? If this is a threat, what am I feeling? So we sort of go into, okay, if I'm feeling, you know, there's a threat, I'm feeling afraid or feeling anxiety. And then the neocortex at the top will create the story from those emotions. But if you think about a chihuahua, like for, for example, um, anything's going to be a threat to them. These dogs shake and they have like, you know, crazy amount of like anxiety around things versus a Rottweiler. And the difference is the identity, the way that they see themselves within that, within that, um, event or whatever it might be that experience so when we have a look at identity it creates the difference between whether we perceive perceive things as a threat or not and then we take in the emotions of what we feel from that and then the story so when we have a look at things like trauma it's looking at things like okay what was the the event that previous version of you went through in that trauma and how did that previous version of you actually perceive that trauma and when we actually go through it and say okay but what was true what was true within that moment because things with trauma depending on the type of trauma as well people tend to take the responsibility for that trauma or that event even if it was out of their control they try and take the responsibility of other people's actions or um, they take responsibility of the way that people chose to treat them or anything like that Or, you know, it's having a look at that situation almost objectively where you can release yourself of things that you weren't responsible for. So when you're actually able to say, okay, well, this version of me that I am now, how would I see that differently? How would I, you know, react to that differently? And what's the new story that I would be telling myself? Because a lot of things around trauma is about, you know, processing the emotion. So allowing that emotion to be released. Also, it's about releasing it from the body 
So you think about the animals in the wild, for example, you know, um, if you have things like a zebra, if a zebra nearly gets caught by a lion, it'll actually go and shake off by the uh, the other zebras to release the, the trauma and the adrenaline, which is super important. And then it's also having a look at the identity piece of who you are now in terms of your personality in the way that you would act differently. So it's almost like that problem solving loop. Because otherwise people tend to go over things again and again and again. And a big part of that is because they didn't know or didn't have the clarity in order to solve it. So they don't know how to keep themselves safe in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember I was reading a book by Eckhart Tolle and he said the same thing about ducks, right? Is after two like male ducks will, you know, try and beat the shit out of each other. They'll just straight up, you know, walk off or swim off, I guess, in that case, and just, you know, whack their feathers in the water as hard as they can to get all that that excess, uh, you know, release off and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I remember when I was doing, um, I was doing like uh, martial arts for a little bit. Uh, we kind of did, I, I kind of did a similar thing. Cause you know, if, 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 uh, if I lost or something like that, if I got tapped out, I would, you know, all those feelings of failure and all that stuff. It wasn't too often, you know, because there wasn't as much ego in, in jujitsu and all that kind of stuff. But every now and then my ego would get in the way and I'd just be like, I, I would smack the mat and just be like, all right, and smack my head and be like, all right, we got to get back in this, you know, because, you know, when we think about things like jujitsu, it's basically you telling somebody like, hey, I almost killed you right there. Tap out if you want me to stop. Right. And yeah. it, there's some part of like my brain that's just like, dang it, I could have gotten killed right there, you know, and it, it's interesting <laughs> as you go through that. Um this idea of pent up trauma, because, you know, I mean, we were just talking about uh, Nadine Macaluso off, off air, um, who's married to the Wolf of Wall Street. And she, she specializes in somatic psychotherapy or, you know, trying to uh, target that trauma that's in your body. Because, um, you know, when we talk about a lot of trauma or anything, like typically the one thing, I mean, it realistically speaking, not a lot of us can con- like can fully control our thoughts. You know, there, there's going to be some that seep through. The more that you pay attention to them, the more that they're just going to be like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But when you look at your body, you know, you can stop you can stop certain things from happening. You can, you know, one thing that I noticed uh, quite a bit when I was very angry was that I clenched my fist like very, very tightly uh, as if I was getting ready to punch somebody or anything like that. And it came from when my father used to hit me, I would hold my fist so that it would be uh, and also my my uh, my, my abs would tighten so that I was getting ready for a hit. So I always had that that idea in my head, and it wasn't until later that I kind of put that correlation together, and I was like, "Oh, I never realized that." Um, you know, I always, I always, and obviously we should look at the brains, of course, but I think we need to look at the brain, the mind-body connection, in you know, because they they complement each other quite a bit, and you know, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm wondering about this, this is one of my most but my, my, my topics that I'm kind of back and forth on, maybe you can help me get some clarity on this. Um, porn in relationships. I, I do a segment on my, my podcast, or on my regular podcast, not the one that I do on YouTube, where I go to like random subreddits and kind of, you know, listen, listen to what people have to say. And one of the prevailing problems, especially for women, is, is uh, porn in relationships, especially when they're, when they're guys doing porn. I personally have a... a a stake against porn in relationships because I've seen what it does. I mean, not to get into any detail, but erectile dysfunction is a thing, guys. It does happen uh, when you're too used to seeing the thing, kind of things that you see on there. Uh, what is your idea? What, I'm sorry. What, is, what are your thoughts on, on porn in relationships? And is there a healthy way to have that kind of thing? Because I have heard some people say, oh, it spiced up certain parts of it. They learned a new technique from it. Um, but on average, at least in my friend groups, it doesn't seem to be like they're looking at porn to learn something new. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a few different things going on here. <laughs> and, um, so basically it's finding out what works well for, for your relationship. Okay. If it's not working, well, guess what? Don't do it or find a way that's going to work better. If it is fantastic, you know, work on that. I think, um, uh, yeah, I've actually got a really cool book here. <laughs> I kind of go to it, I'll talk about it, I'll bring it out just so I've got it. Um, but the interesting thing about, you know, healthy relationships in general is that it has four main elements. So you've got things like compatibility. 
So if you think about in terms of sex, in terms of kinks, in terms of those elements, that's going to be really important to ensure that you've got that compatibility within that relationship. You know, there's obviously other compatibility areas, but this is obviously quite important because otherwise if you're not getting your needs met, well, it's not going to feel great to be in that relationship. The other element as well is things like communication, being open and finding out, okay, what works and what doesn't, you know, do you like this certain thing? Do you not like this certain thing? So you're able to clarify the boundaries of that relationship. So it might be like, okay, yeah, great. You can go off and do porn, but as long as it's not when I'm not in the same room as you or whatever it might be, you know, finding those boundaries of what works for you. Um, The other side of things is things like consideration, having consideration for each other and also collaboration, like finding again, collaborating together to find out what works best for the both of you but in a healthy way and the big important part of that is accountability because if you haven't got the accountability of you know awareness of whether something's healthy or not for you as an individual you're going to really struggle to actually build that into a healthy relationship now it's really interesting around the porn thing and especially because I've got this book here, cringe at the title because it is really cringy. But the, because the funny thing is, it can um, it can also be very related to uh, you know women and men. So the title of the book is called When He's Married to Mom, um, and it's around mother enmeshment. And the interesting thing around this, I mean, I'll, I'll, it's a very interesting book to go ahead and read. But basically, to summarise, it's about boys who have been brought up by their mums and been treated as almost mini boyfriends rather than sons right and this this can cause a whole host of issues for men so things like finding masculinity um sex addiction um alcohol addiction um people pleasing behaviors uh, lack of identity finding out actually what works for you what doesn't so it's really interesting understanding you know, where that um, need for porn is coming into that relationship. So whether it's coming from something where you just, you know, got an addiction to it versus something that's healthy and spicing it up, it all depends on the intention of where that is coming from, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. And that explains a lot of what I, you know, when I, when I first figured out about this, because I, you know, my mom was a single mom who had been, uh, you know, divorced three times. So all my my uh, brother and my sister are all from, all from different dads and stuff. And, you know, that was the thing about it was, I mean, I don't blame her for, for raising me this way, but she didn't want me to be like my dad. But she mm. also, you know, it, it wasn't like she knew exactly what, uh, you know, exactly what, like, I should be in terms of being a man. So I typically, luckily, I had a really good grandfather that, that, instilled a lot of that stuff in me but I only I didn't see him as much as I would say a dad in my in my household or anything like that somebody that was around more often so I typically I was always running after this is where the people pleasing thing came from but I tried to channel it more into finding father figures in my life and you know it it worked out pretty well as I got older but uh, definitely you know throughout my life I've always been that person that said that always was like oh you know whatever everybody else wants whatever everybody else wants and all that stuff and now I'm a little bit more uh, you know, assertive about what I want, just because I, I know what happens when you bottle things up and you don't, yes. uh, you don't, you know, you just sit there quietly. Eventually you're going to explode and people are going to be like, wow, I didn't know he was like this. He's so quiet. You know, it's just like, yes. it, you know, it, it gets to the point. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what happened to me, man. You know, I remember I, I, one time I, I was, um, something happened to my phone and this was back when we used to have like flip phones and stuff. So it wasn't, it was like $20 flip phone. And um, one of my friends just laughed at the situation because it was kind of funny. I dropped it in a pool while we were doing a gig. And, you know, it just pissed me off so much that I, I picked him up and threw him against a tree. And everybody looked at me like, is this is this the same guy? And, you know, I just don't want – I never really want that to happen. That's, you know, why I quit drinking and smoking weed was because I didn't want – I didn't want there to ever be this – time where i lose who i am right if if i do do something wrong i want somebody to look at me and be like oh that's you let's let's figure out like what we can do differently instead of oh you're just going through a temper tantrum or you're just drunk or you're just smoking weed so you know because then they can't really they you know i don't get the blame on me at that point i don't know what to fix uh so 
You know, that's really yeah. a fascinating point on that because, you know, when we talk about – I mean, it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about, right? You know, <laughs> people people going yeah. after – I mean, but it's kind of true, right? I was – I've always – I've never been in a relationship that I instigated. It was always women coming to me to mm. instigate the relationship. And both my my partners were a little bit more uh, more dominant than I was uh, in in terms of certain things. So, and you know, my mom has always uh, told me what to do. Told, you know, showed me how to do this, showed me how to do that. So I found it attractive. But now that I'm I've grown out of that and done some work on myself, I realize like, oh man, this is not going to go well for me in the long run if I don't if I don't eventually assert myself and. Uh, you know, tell people what I want and, you know, figure out what I want for that, for that matter. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious on, you know, we just talked about porn and I, I have this friend who was in a relationship for maybe like six years or so. And, uh, you know, after the relationship, I, we, we do a podcast together and, you know, I was, I just kind of brought it up. I was like, Hey man, what are you into? Cause I was just talking about all the, you know, random kinks that I'm into tying people up and all that shit. And, you know, he, he got, I'd never seen him like this, but he, he was all flustered and like, I, I don't know. I was like, and I had to stop the podcast for a second. I was like, what you, Oh, you don't know. But we talk about, you know, we talk about like porn and stuff all the time, but he's like, I just really don't know what I want in the bedroom. And, you know, how important do you think it is for people to find that sexual identity of theirs before they get into a relationship? Or, you know, do you think that that kind of comes with the, the building of the relationship? Hmm. Yeah. Good question. I think, I think again, it kind of, it comes back to that identity piece. I think one thing that I found really interesting around uh, sexual kinks is that it tends to be something that we're afraid of in terms of, um, you know, showing, showing that side of yourself to society. Hence there's a rush to be able to share that or show that with someone else. So, and I think a big part of that is, again, being really clear on who you are and being very in touch with yourself. Because I think nowadays, I think people tend to be very dissociated with their bodies and who they are. And I think if you're in that place, and I've certainly been in that place before, how can you fully enjoy pleasure on your own? But how can you also fully enjoy that pleasure with someone else in a very vulnerable place? So I think there's a mixture of those elements there and also being in that place where you're in a relationship where there is that openness to be able to explore and to be able to have a little bit of fun as well. You know, that way you can communicate to each other and say, yeah, do you know what? That was great. That I didn't really like so much. And that's OK. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I I was really worried about like, you know, sex being you know i remember i had a lot of anxiety about sex before i even did it i mean i don't i don't think i lost my virginity until about 2021 20, maybe or something like that and mm. which was a lot later than some of my other friends and uh who probably lost it earlier than i think they should have but you know it's interesting when you actually have that like that real like sexual connection with somebody like you know it, it is it is kind of like ma it is pretty magical but I, i'm curious on you know, the way, you know, this kind of, I don't, I don't think it's as much of a hookup culture as it is, but do you think that hooking up, uh, with multi, with too many people can affect somebody's, uh, you know, trying to get into eventually a committed relationship? Cause we're starting to see this with, um, you know, there's, there's a porn star recently, uh, Lana Rhodes that has been talking about trying to find a high value male and all this stuff. But the problem is, is because of her, obviously the very extreme examples, so I'm not trying to compare all women to this, but you know, she, she's getting, she's having trouble finding somebody who wants to just settle down with her, who instead of just wants to, you know, play around. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, one of the things that I've noticed with some of my friends who just kind of date around and all that stuff, who don't really get into long-term relationships, even the males, you know, is that they, they almost don't know what to, they're so not used to that being the thing. They're used to, uh, you know, initial, initial flirting, you know, once we get into the bedroom, I mean, that's basically, that's, that's the, that's the finish line. That's, that's where it mm -hmm. ends. That's where all this goes. Instead of being like, okay, how do I keep you for long-term? How do I, you know, how do I work on myself so that I am, uh, a good person and that I can, uh, I don't fucking resent you when I can't speak up, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm just curious on your thoughts about, about, about hooking up, uh, when you, you know, in your past as a, uh, when you're trying to, uh, find, you know, maybe true love or long-term relationship, uh, afterwards. Mm. I think it's quite interesting because what we tend to find is when people are just looking to go out and hook up, 
it's not to be emotionally vulnerable. It's nothing to do with, it's nothing to do with connection. It's more about, it's more about you. It's more about like, okay, I need to be able to be approved of or accepted or seen or whatever it might be. And what I tend to find is it's almost, there's almost two different ways of, of where, where the way people use it. It's either a numbing behavior, a little bit like, you know, going off watching a lot of TV or eating certain foods or alcohol or whatever it might be. Um, uh, and it all, it can also be, um, a cry for help in terms of I'm not feeling anything I just need to be able to do something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone a little bit out there so I can feel a bit of an adrenaline rush or whatever it might be so I feel alive so it depends on it, it, the way that people are using it because if you're using it in those kind of ways well how can you be in a place to be in a relationship you can't so what I tend to find is with people who genuinely want long-lasting relationships is is having a look at the your identity, but also having a look at you know who you're going to be compatible and compatible with for the long run. Because if you're meeting people, you know, a little bit like that porn star you're talking about, I don't think the issue is that she's had lots of sex and she can never find the right one. I think the issue is that she's accepting the wrong kind of person into her life and she doesn't know who's compatible for her. And, you know, when we actually actually identify who's compatible for, for, you know, with us and also their intentions behind that relationship. So that's why I love teaching people about the profiling and reading people, because you get to make an informed decision on the on the truth. So if you turn around to say someone say, um, I'm looking for a long term relationship. And they go, yes, but actually all their body language is going, nope, <laughs> you can make that informed decision <laughs> to say, okay, well, um, uh, this, this person's not actually in it for the long run. So I know that I, you know, I can either go there and have a bit of fun or I can say no and meet someone else that, that's going to be more aligned to what I want. So, yeah, I think it's more about clarity of what you want for the long term and what's actually going to work for you and with you in terms of a growing relationship for the future. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when, when we, when we are talking about, um, when we are talking about relationships, it, it, it does, it does bring up a lot of interesting questions about one's history, right? You know, whenever we're talking about things and obviously this isn't to say, you know, if you have a certain amount of partners, you'll never find this or that or anything like that, but it's more just a, just a question of your mindset when you go into those because I you know I have that that same friend that I was talking about who was in that long-term relationship was you know now it's almost like he's just kind of given up on long-term relationships and wants to do this and do this and it's almost like now since obviously it, it didn't end very well he got cheated on he he feels some sense of he needs to prove himself that he can he can he can do this you know this but it it, it, it really breaks my heart to see it too but you know it's 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 just so interesting to see how relationships play out in in our everyday lives you know because uh because of my relationships i mean i'm well okay because of my last relationship in particular i was with a very sexually open person so it's interesting now i when i talk to people i don't realize how far i'm going in my conversation sometimes and you know sometimes people will start looking at me weird like oh okay i didn't think we we're gonna go on that or you know anything like that and uh so obviously i have you know my 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 social skills start to kick in and I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm reading the room. Not, not a cool, <laughs> Maybe I don't want to talk about tying people up and all that other bullshit. But, uh, you know, I, I'm wondering about, because obviously we live in the age of dating apps. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do, I, I have a lot against dating apps. I, I don't, I don't think that they told, they, I think that they do work in, in, in a lot of cases and they're totally fine for that. I, I just think that they're not for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on dating apps? And if somebody were to maybe say, oh, I really want to try a dating app, what would your advice be to them before they get on that dating app? Oh, yeah. Well, it's quite funny. With my with my clients, I actually create a dating strategy with them. So some people are say, don't use a dating app. You're not going to find the ideal person there. And some people will be like, right, okay, yes, this is, this is the, you know, the right way for you to go. And, you know, with the strategy, I'm pretty bang on with it because uh, like 72, 73, 72% of my clients within three months meet the one. 
So um, uh, what I say with people, if, if I say, okay, yes, go ahead and use a dating app, is really think about what you want people to understand about you and put it on your freaking profile. Because I've, I've spoken to a few people before now who've used dating apps and they're like, oh, it doesn't work for me. It's like, okay, well, ha- tell me, you know, what does your profile look like? Oh, um, you know, my friend created it and there's this picture of me on this night out and this, that and the other. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, tell me, tell me, what do you want people to understand about you? What's your main interest? If I said, you know, talk to me for you know, two, three hours about something, what could you happily talk to me about? And she goes, oh, well, I actually really love history. And in particular, this, uh, I think it's like Victorians or something like that. And I was like, okay, cool. And she goes, yeah, I've actually got a degree in X, Y, and Z and this, that, and the other. So, okay, where does that tell me about you in that profile that you've created or your friends created for you? Because at the minute I'm just seeing a party girl and that's not your personality at all. And it's, it's understanding. It's a little bit like marketing. You know, when we market something, we don't market to everyone because no one's going to want it. You know, everyone's going to go, oh, well, yeah, I've seen all that before. If you're saying, okay, well, I am this person looking for this type of person, <laughs> you're a little bit more clear, aren't you, who you are. It's going to be easier for you to go and meet that kind of person. The other side of things as well is understanding the personality types to avoid So a lot of my work is around helping people to identify, disarm, and also heal from narcissistic personalities. And the reason why this is so important is, I don't know if if you've seen the the documentaries that have recently come out about, is it Nixium cult? It was a personal development cult. And uh, originally it was, you know, something a little bit like almost like an NLP community, you know, or a coaching community. It's meant to be something that's going to be absolutely fantastic, really good for people, you know, 16,000 people enrolled in it. And, but the problem was a very psychopathic narcissist was leading it and was able to bring all these people in and bend beliefs to the point where um, he was getting people to be, become sex slaves. So, you know, when we're talking about narcissists in particular, there is this element of being highly influential Um, to the point where they can get people to do something that is not necessarily in the person's best interest or anything like that. So that can have huge dire consequences to someone's identity and also the healing journey and also the relationships they end up going into in the future. But there's a few things that you can look out for on the dating profile to avoid narcissists as well. So, for example, if you're having a look at someone's expressions on their dating profile, have a look for people who actually have something called emotional range, where they're fully smiling, where you can actually see the smile in their eyes um, versus someone who looks like in all their photos that they should be holding, you know, one of those, what do they call it? Like the police, when they get a picture taken, do you know what I mean? I can't. They're holding that yeah, little like a card, mugshot. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like, okay, if you've got someone who looks like they're they're in a mug mugshot in all of their pictures, well, that's going to show that person's got no empathy, because the the what we're looking for in terms of understanding if someone's a narcissist or not is we're looking at whether that person can actually demonstrate empathy, because in a true narcissist, not just the buzzword narcissist the empathy part of the brain is actually underdeveloped. So asking them to feel something is literally asking a fish to walk. You know, they can't physically do it. You know, they can mimic it, but not they can't physically go there emotionally. So that's why it's so important to distinguish that. I mean, otherwise you've got someone who's almost like looking at you as if you're a resource because you can't emotionally connect to a pen, for example. <laughs> you know, it's the same with the way narcissists look at, look at people. It's like, okay, you're my possession. This is the way I can use you. I can get my praise from you. I can get my status from you. I can get control of you. And that's the elements that they're looking for. So with that, it's looking at things like that expression. It's looking for things like when you're having a conversation, is the conversation flowing between you or is it always coming back to them? Because that can cause a huge issue as well. It shows that they're, they're not really bothered about you. They just want you. They just want to tell you how amazing they are and um, for you to, you know, worship that. And um, what's another good one? I'd say as well, they tend to turn things sexually really, really quickly. 
like really, really quickly. So if it feels like you're being an obstacle to your own genitals you know, in those conversations, then that can be a huge red flag as well, because what they're looking for is for you to be vulnerable in the situation and they can use that. That's the way that they gain their power. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting because I, I used to have a lot of, um, more like sociopathic qualities to myself just because I was very antisocial. And so I didn't actually learn how to be very social. Uh, and so I had to learn a lot of those things. I had to start by like acting them out, like acting like I gave a shit about people, for, <laughs> for instance. And it, it wasn't until I think about high school when I started to have a lot more social interaction, but I was already very underdeveloped at that point. So I didn't really know how to do anything without like jokes and all that kind of stuff. And it's still something that I, I fall back on uh, sometimes, but it, it's interesting that you were, you were talking about, you know, narcissists kind of looking at people in that way. Cause I, I definitely had a lot of uh, those qualities before just from poor social interaction. I mean, if, if you look at a lot of the uh, you know, like psychopaths that, that uh, do the crazy things that they do, they they typically don't have a very good social life or they only, they have a social life with like one person that's not good for them you know and i i think that's just so so uh so interesting because i i don't think since a lot of people aren't in that same mindset it's so hard to realize people are like that you know it's like mm -hmm. you don't feel anything when this happens and at one point i would probably say like no but i realized i actually had a lot of empathy towards animals yes. so i actually i moved it I moved my empathy. I tried to think people as, I mean, obviously we are animals, but you know, I had a dog and anything that would happen, I'd get really upset about and anything like that or anything. Anytime a dog would die in a movie, I'd cry. But every time people would die, I'd be like, ha, he got what he deserved. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting to see what where our priorities are because my dog always kept me safe from my dad. And so it, it was just something that, and whereas my dad, a human was attacking me all the time. So it was, mm. it was tough for me to, empathize with people who let this person into my life and let this person do this stuff and you know who this person was a part of but uh you know i think that's i, I think that that's you know why i was happy to have you on is because you know we don't realize how much these relationships have to do with our daily lives you know anything like that and you know one thing that i've noticed with men and women alike is man some people's standards are so high nowadays and i don't know what in the world it is uh you know as we go through uh, the dating site, you know, women want a guy that's over six feet or, you know, and a guy wants a girl that looks like Kim Kardashian and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's so confusing to me because, you know, there's not too many people in both of those categories. I think men over six feet in the U.S. is like 14% of us are, are over six feet, you know, and I don't even know what the the percentage of women that look like Kim Kardashian without <laughs> surgery is, but it's probably not that much. And they're probably all in, you know, the the coast, you know, whether it be on Florida or you know, LA and California. Mm -hmm. I, I, and it's, it's tough for me to, to reconcile with it. Cause it's, um, I don't really know what it's like to have super outrageous standards, but could you, could you kind of talk about, do you, do you ever have that problem with either your clients or just, you know, in, in what you see in the dating marketplace in general of people having too high of standards? I wouldn't say it's even having high standards because, um, Oh, it's like when you look at things like that, it's like, okay, the, the importance of someone being over six foot or someone looking like, you know, Kardashians or whatever it might be. Where's the connection piece? It's like, hello, this is like all superficial crap, which is probably the reason why you're single in the first place. Right. Can we have a look at the important things, please? Right. Do you want honesty? Do you want loyalty? Do you want humor? Do you want um, connection? Do you want empathy? Do you want great sex? Do you want someone who's ambitious, someone who prioritizes family? It's these things that actually keep people together and allow people to grow a relationship. Not if they're bloody six foot, not if they look like Kim Kardashian. <laughs> But the truth is, it's like when you meet someone who's very aligned to you and you have the bonus of them being um, attractive, great. That That's like the, the perfect combo right there. But if you're, you know, just focusing on the elements of, you know, if they look a certain way, you're probably not ready for a relationship because <laughs> obviously we, we do things as well to actually protect ourselves.
Because if we're focusing on things that we feel like we can't get, there's an element of, you know, well, that way I can stay single because they don't meet my standards. So there can be a self-protecting element that people are bringing into to their love life. And I'm just curious about your opinions on things like social media and and all that stuff, because I, I do... You know, I there's this guy named uh, Jonathan Haidt who he he did uh, he did a book and I can't remember exactly what it was called because I didn't read it, but <laughs> I did see him on a podcast. Um, but one of the things that he had mentioned was that uh, the female suicide rate shot up around when like Facebook, Instagram was introduced. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, a uh, suicide attempt rate. Typically, women aren't as successful in suicide that men are, but um, that that in itself is troubling. And I he. Obviously, he didn't know the exact cause of it, but he he deduced it to basically the the prevalence of Instagram models and all these these certain things thrown in our face about you know what the ideal woman should look like. Um, obviously, a lot of those Instagram. That's why I you know I've had a lot of people who you know you can tell aren't really interested in me or anything like that try and like approach me and be like, oh hey, how's it going, sweetie? Or is it like some bot you know kind of bullshit like that. <laughs> and you know one of my friends just follows them like crazy because he likes to have things yeah. to look at, but. I, I just don't like having that on my profile because it all it is is just extra like temptation for me to just go over to this person, give them random views for things that I don't think that they deserve, right? In in that in in that sense, but just because they're all empty, right? It's just some guy saying, "Oh, nice body, nice ass, nice this." But I mean, like you said, where's the connection in that? And so yeah, I was just curious about your or just maybe media in general, right? We do have. I just mentioned the Kardashians, right? Obviously, there were a lot of things that happened. You know, I remember when. Was it Kylie Jenner did the the lip thing, and everybody wanted to do the lips, the lip challenge that just fucked up their lips for whatever reason. And you know, I mean, what is your opinion on media in general when it comes to like, you know, body image or you know maybe our own standards that we were talking about where they're just completely unrealistic? Yeah, I think the thing is with social media, I mean, it's like that saying, you know, I think everybody wishes they had the life that they portray on Facebook. It's like, you know, we can show the best parts. And I think that's one of the main reasons why people become, you know, depressed or suicidal is when they look at something and go, oh, wow, you know, everyone's got this amazing life and I'm sat here feeling like this. And the interesting thing is around um, relationships, I've got a feeling it's something like um, 40% of people who are on antidepressants Um, It has a link to their romantic relationships or their relationship status. And, you know, quite interesting enough, actually, one of my clients just recently after I think it's almost 20 years of being on antidepressants has just come off them after uh, working with me and meeting their ideal partner. But I think the I think it's the elements of the, you know, comparing that that need to compare. And I think that's what's caused um so many people to feel like they're an outlier or something like that where they're not accepted by society in a certain way and i think with identities you know we we are individuals but so much of it is influenced by the way that we believe we should be by society standards and even the people that we love you know their standards as well whether that's family whether that's friends whether that's partners So I think there's almost like these pressures from all these different angles and then social media on top. And I think that's what's caused a lot of issues for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like I, like I said, I mean, I've, I've seen some of my friends on, you know, that I went to high school with now turn into this, uh, these people that are, you know, they just show all this stuff on Instagram and, you know, like how amazing this is, how amazing that is. And, (laughs) uh, you know, some of them, I know for sure, they're not exactly like that. And it's, it's tough. I mean, I don't really use Instagram for anything other than just posting up these episodes because I know, I know I'd be sucked in right away. I would be trying to tell people like some motivational quote, like "Look at me, guys. I I made it out of the. I was hospitalized this long ago, and now I'm doing this, this, and this." And I, listen, <laughs> I think that's a great story to tell, and obviously I've told that story here, but. I don't like to force that down people's throats because what if you didn't have as hard, what if you didn't go to that extreme? Are your, is your depression less valuable than my depression just because I went to the hospital? Is your anxiety less, you know, 
should you not be focusing on your own anxiety because, oh, I have it worse than you? No, I, do, I just don't think that's exactly a good way to do it. And I know for, for damn sure I'd probably do that at some point. I'd probably make it seem like I was the worst, you know, the victimization kind of thing of it. Because, I mean, it does feel good to be a victim in a lot of cases but you know mm-hmm. lily thank you so much for, for doing a lot of this just one more question for you i always ask everybody about this i mean what would your mm-hmm. your core message be to my audience out there you know whether it be like an amalgamation of everything that you just said or you know something they really want to get across you know if they listen to just this one thing from this interview i mean what what, what do you think that would be yeah i believe that it's the importance of really understanding who you are and also what you want out of life. Because we only feel negative if that's not aligned to what we want. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, definitely agree with that. And, you know, uh, you know, once again, thank you for being on. I, I, I really do think that, you know, the way that I'm seeing um, dating and stuff now is, is pretty tragic just because it's, it's all about, you know, we look at somebody's picture on this and you know i see a lot of my friends on the doing the hustle and i did the hustle and you know like like (laughs) early pandemic and i was just like i was like i just gotta find somebody i just gotta find somebody i just gotta you know to to make it seem like i have still have game you know i still got the game i know how to do it i know how to do this but you know and then once i started realizing i wasn't a i was well i wasn't getting anywhere just from messaging every single person that i was seeing uh i realized that i was just being so desperate and i realized that I wasn't, I, you know, I had a podcast to do. I had YouTube, I had podcasting and I was like, you know what? I got to build myself up before I get into a lot of these things. I'm not saying everybody has to wait for the, uh, you know, for, for yourself to be like perfect. You don't have to wait to be like the perfect person because, you know, by then it'll probably be like, you know, like probably be 50 or something like that by the time you get everything that you actually do want in life. But, um, you know, I definitely wanted to focus on some more things before I, I actually got into a relationship. And so, um, yeah, Lily, thank you for being on and thank you for, you know, helping a lot of the people out there. I'm sure a lot of people get a, uh, you know, some good advice about this and uh, we'll get a lot about, uh, out of your advice about this because, you know, like I said, I'm not super into the dating scene. I listen, I go to like some, some subreddits to, for my podcast and that's kind of it. So hearing somebody that's actually met with people who actually talks with people that are, you know, on the ground, so to speak. So that are actually out there trying to date is, uh, is, is great. So yeah, thank you for being on. No, thank you for having me. Hey guys, thanks for watching Mental Health Casual. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more videos.